Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the blessing of this day, for this place of refuge, this place of grace and mercy. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak and move and draw us to yourself. We pray, Lord, for your, the gift of your sight, Lord, that you would open our eyes and minds to be able to see and perceive what you are revealing to us in your scriptures, and that the hope of your gospel would shine through, that your life um, would become our life, Lord, and that we pray that you would speak, speak clearly and deeply to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Well, uh, I think it would be fair to say that group dynamics can sometimes be complicated, right? And leading a group of people can be complicated as well, right? Fair? Okay. And so one of the answers to this that our world comes up with is to be highly selective in the groups that we are a part of, right? Uh, If you look at uh, different businesses and groups in the United States or sports teams, right, they're always selecting, picking and choosing who they want and who they don't want, right? If, say, for instance, you have a sports team, an NFL team, and you've got a player who year after year has not performed to standard, what do you do when their contract comes up? You cut them, right? And you go and find somebody else. Unless you're the Raiders, I mean, and then they kind of keep people. But like other teams, right? Other teams, you know, they they really do this. Um, Is this good? That's a more complicated question, isn't it, right? Is it good? But that is certainly the way it works in this world. And is is that a fair statement? Is that how it works? Um, Sometimes the more selective like, or the more elite a business or an organization is, the more harsh they are in their decisions. When I was in the the Ranger Battalion in the Army, we purposely made selection and training incredibly difficult. And why would we do this? To weed people out, right? Absolutely. And as leadership in that unit, you would hear uh, the leaders say really encouraging things to folks who were struggling, like, you ought to quit. Right? Quitting's easy. You know, why don't you, uh, why don't you give up? Is that good? No, it's not good, but, but the reason they did it is why? Yeah, like the people who you want to establish a unit or a group with the same strengths, not necessarily all the same strength, but a level of strength that is acceptable for the mission that needs to be carried out, right? And a level of competency that is sufficient for the mission that must be conducted. Because if during training somebody is barely scraping by or not really performing to standard, and you kind of drag them along for a while, and then you go deploy it for a real-world mission, and that person is suddenly faced with the reality of life or death situation, have you done them any favors? No. And have you done yourself any favors? Or the people you're trying to help or rescue or whatever? No. The whole mission is potentially compromised. Right? It's really challenging. And so for us, in my unit, our lives and the lives of others literally depended on us being able to complete the mission to an incredibly high standard. And so we would try to train people up if they were struggling and try to get them stronger and try to teach them a competency 
or a skill that they didn't know. Um, but if they couldn't do it, ultimately we had to let them go. And that's how things work in this world, right? Our best businesses are the most selective. I hear that in like the tech industry, it's incredibly cutthroat. Right? You come out of school, you're trained up, you have your skills, you've, got, you've been trained in all the newest things, you go to your job, they pay you handsomely for a while, and then what do they do? They're looking for the next person who's right out of school and fresh and knows all the new stuff, and you get dropped off. Is that fair? Is that good? If you're the new guy, right? But otherwise, is it? It's hard. That's how our world works. It cuts the chaff. It moves on. That's how businesses operate. And that is the kind of atmosphere that we're steeped in. It's a utilitarian atmosphere. Like, what can you do? What can you do to provide to make this business better, this team better, this enterprise better? And it is a harsh way of seeing the world. Is that how God sees the world? Are you sure? Okay, let's look at, the, uh, let's look at Jeremiah and find out what God has to say. Okay, um, in the book of Jeremiah, we have an incredible promise for God, uh, from God of rescuing his people from their exile. And here is the description. He says, See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. Now, if you were going to rescue a group of people from a foreign land where they had to walk out on foot, what group of people would you choose? And if you had to take that same group of people and establish a nation from them, like rebuild everything, restart all your um, enterprises, all your businesses. Who would you pick? Yeah, that's right. You would pick the strong, the fast, the intelligent, the, the wealthy, whatever group you needed that you needed to do this, artisans, you know, to build your stuff. You would, you would pick your certain group of people. Who does God pick? Or who does he highlight here? The blind, the lame, pregnant, and those in labor. God focuses on a group of people who, while they might be quite proficient and great at what they do, would not be necessarily the group that people would look to as the ideal group, right? To move on a long journey on foot and then to establish a new nation, right? Unfortunately, that's the way the world looks at things. It would be hard to move a group of people who are blind or lame or pregnant, and most unexpectedly, at least when I was reading it, those who are in labor, who in my limited experience are not particularly fond of long hikes. Right? You don't see many women in labor hiking clubs. Right? It's because they've got other things on their mind. They're the ones in this passage who God wants to highlight that he will move and that he cares for, and that he wants to see them reestablished in his nation. And so why? Why does he highlight these particular groups of people? 
doesn't want anyone left behind. It's precisely because other people, you and I, we already established that, that we would pick different people, right? We already revealed our own brokenness when we said we'd pick the strong or whatever it was. Right? But God says he's going to pick these folks because he does not want to leave anyone behind and because he does not operate according to the same values that our world operates under. The Lord cares for them and he will not leave them behind. So not only will God bring this special group of people with his people as they come back, But he's going to, in addition, make this path that he takes them on unique. The road that he leads them on will be special. He tells us, with weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. They speak about the comfort of God. Um, And I will let them walk by brooks of water, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Now, if you've never been to the Middle East, it's a beautiful place, but it's largely a dry place, like Nevada, right? There are not many watery paths to walk along, right? Not many river walk journeys. But here, God is going to transform this land and lead them along a path that is not a barren wasteland. It's not the Bonneville salt flats. It's brooks of water that they will be walking next to. And the path that they will go on will be smooth, and they will not stumble. And this will be helpful, right? Because remember who he's bringing back. The blind, the lame, pregnant women, and women in labor, right? God is going to ensure that everyone will be able to make it back. He is going to care for them and guide them and protect them and usher them back into his land. But this return trip is not the end of the blessings. It's not like God says, okay, I'm going to bring you back to the land. Now you're on your own. It's not like when I got bumped with a couple of my daughters on a flight a few years ago and we got um, moved to a later one. But instead of sitting coach, they put us in first class because that was the only place there was room. But then the next leg of the flight, what, what, where were we sitting in the next leg? Back in coach, right? That's not how this is going to work, right? A temporary good time in the midst of uh, difficulties. No, rather, this is going to, their whole lives will be transformed as they are returned back to their land. The passage tells us, They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden. What a great image that is. Like a watered garden. And they shall never languish again. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give the priests their fill of fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my bounty, says the Lord. So in the land there will be plenty and blessing and fatness. And the result of all this that God is doing for his people will be joy. The result of them having their eyes open to God's provision will be that songs of praise will come from their lips. They will see God at work 
and they will worship him. It's important in this last, um, this last passage that I read that they will worship him on the height of Zion. What was sitting there on the height of Zion? Starts with a T and ends with a wool. <laughs> the temple, right? Was sitting up there, the temple on the height of Zion. Right, it was there. It was getting like they were rebuilding that thing. And they were going to worship God at that temple in Jerusalem. This is important and might pass by us if we didn't stop to pay attention to it. Because it seems as though this message, this uh, prophecy of what God was going to do for his people, it seems as though it's addressed to the northern kingdom. Because we hear him reference Israel and Ephraim. Those were both elements of the northern kingdom. Uh, you'll remember that after King Solomon, the Israel, United Nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah, that's right. And Judah had as, as its place of worship the temple in Jerusalem. The northern kingdom had as its place of worship Samaria. Right? They didn't come down into Judah to go worship God. And so what it seems as though God is saying here is that he will reestablish a unified worship of him. That no longer will these two nations be divided one from another, but they will be brought back together in unity as they worship their God. That's important and significant. And God cares about the healing of that relationship. Now, this is all profound and amazing. And maybe, maybe it's because the people were so awesome that God did all this to reward them. But I seem to remember that the people were sent into exile not because they were so great that they needed a test, needed a little more challenge in their life to prove their awesomeness, like Job, um, but rather because they had become self-serving, faithless, and heartless people who forgot God and all that he did for them. This rescue and this blessing takes place not because the people were so awesome that God finally realized their greatness, but because God is merciful. He is a merciful God. He has compassion on people, and he wants to restore them and set things right for them. And so he tells us, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd, a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. God had sent them away, but in his mercy, he was bringing them back. He was going to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. Because remember, the hands were too strong for them. He had ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him. Now, the means of this ransom were fairly unclear in the time of Jeremiah. He doesn't go into much depth about how God would ransom his people. You know, we know how ransom works. You get the phone call or the letter, you get the money, you go and like drop it off at the place and you get the person back, right? That's how it works in the movies, which never lie. But how is God, how is God going to do that? You know, did he have the phone? I think it's before phones, bags of money. What was he going to do? How would he ransom his people? There's not a real clear understanding of that in the Old Testament, how the ransom took place. So we have to look to the New Testament where God talks a lot about ransom, talks a lot about redeeming of his people. 
And the means he uses for redeeming his people, the bounty that is paid to set them free, is the life of Jesus Christ. And so the shadow of the cross is seen here in this account of God's deliverance of his people from exile and his preparation of a beautiful and bountiful land for them. We see this as happening through Christ. For us, this passage, therefore, speaks of God's faithfulness. This passage is a passage about us as well. Because you and I, we know that life. We know that story of being apart from God, separated from Him, and being restored by His grace and love. We know what it feels like to be forgiven and set free. That's merely a smaller version of this large story of these people being brought from exile back into their promised land. Now, in our world, we're prone to form communities, businesses, and groups that are composed of people who are beneficial to the carrying out of a task that is set before them and that don't hinder them or slow the group down. God has no such worldview. He seeks out the lame, the blind, the pregnant, and those in labor for the journey. And the reason he seeks them out is because it is not by their strength or anyone else's strength that they make it through the journey, but it is purely by the strength of God. He will carry them. He will get them from exile to the promised land. And this is good news. Because you know who those lame, blind, and slow people are? Us. Us. We might look okay on the outside, right? But if each of us had like a righteous meter above our head, and we were picking teams for righteousness, right? And you were the team captain, or someone was the team captain, would you get picked first? No. I wouldn't either. But God has picked you first. God knows. He reads the righteous meter. He knows your heart. He knows who we are. And yet he has picked us. He has chosen us. From that land of exile, he has chosen us purely because he loves us. Not because we've earned it. Not because we deserve it. But because he loves us. And he wants all not just you and I, but all people, to come to him and to be saved and to have their lives transformed and delivered. Because he is a God who is here to rescue and to redeem. Therefore, we will be a church. We'll be a church filled with the broken, the lost, and the lame, because those are the people who God wants to draw to himself. People like us. Because we, us broken people, we are the church of God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being a God of grace and mercy, the God of hope and life, the God who gives us joy. Lord God, thank you for setting, up, setting us apart for your, your kingdom. Thank you for the hope you have implanted into our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to worship you, to know you more each and every day, and to love you, Lord, um, more, with more focused hearts. 
Lord, we have been saved by your grace and mercy, not because we earned it or deserved it. And so help us to go out into this world with this precious and invaluable message, Lord. May we share it with others, knowing that that it is purely by your grace that we are brought into fellowship with you. And so help us to be gracious and loving and kind with others, even when they disagree with us or, or are difficult. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people of peace and mercy, people who seek to bring others in and to share your hope with them. And Lord, we pray during this Christmas season that we, would, that we would reveal the beauty of the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the joy of the Incarnation, that others would come and see and would rejoice as well. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.